0: Should we have, like, a weird one on this one? Be like, uh, so this is Hank Hill, and you're listening to Noco Moto Podcast. (laughs) All right, let's go. I don't want a pickle. Just want to ride on my motorcycle. Okay, Noco Moto episode five. Yeah. I'm your host, Moto G Pete, and with me as always is Swiggy. How do you do? Okay. Now we're gonna break from tradition a little bit here because something exciting has happened. Yes. We got some feedback on our listeners, and it turns out that <clears> we <throat> have some. Yeah. Uh so
1: I've gone through the stats uh-huh. and I've knocked out everybody that I know of that I've Actually shared the podcast with. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that we have two whole organic listeners. <laughs> Just pure organic traffic.
0: That is amazing. <clears throat> now, we've been able to figure out that at least two of you <laughs> are not only our two first real listeners, but also you are the only listeners in your city. Congratulations. Now, we've created... Uh, an email now right what's it what was the
1: address again the email is nokomoto podcast at gmail.com
0: fancy and even fancier we have a twitter account which is also at nokomoto podcast right i don't even really know what twitter is so this is going to be exciting mostly for me it's it's to
1: your benefit
0: okay all right. Now again, he said we have the listener in Atlanta and Belvedere, Kentucky.
1: Yes, we have one listener in Atlanta, Georgia and one listener in Belvedere, Kentucky, both of which have downloaded all three episodes that are currently live.
0: Wow. They're super fans. You know, we need a name for our fans, you know? Like um uh, what's a great like, like you know, like Justin Bieber's fans are the believers, right? Like we we need a name for ours. Like I don't know, it's tough though because what kind of idiot listens to us? I know it's it's a bad move. Yeah, <laughs> All right, should we just call them the idiots? <gasps> no, wait, I've got it: the motards.
1: Is that? I I feel like that's already being used by the Supermoto Riders.
0: Is it? Yeah. I I didn't realize they called themselves Motards.
1: Well, some of them do. It's a diverse crowd.
0: Okay. Well, they could be the NoCo Motards. (laughs) We'll work on it. (laughs) Okay. In development. (sighs) But for right now, we're going with NoCo Motards. Okay. So uh, our listener in Atlanta, I want to speak directly to you for a minute. I I just want to think about what kind of person you might be. I mean, you, so you you listen to motorcycle podcasts, you live in Atlanta. I don't know. I do you have a lot of friends? <laughs> What's going on? You know, um so you're in the south, uh you're listening to a motorcycle podcasts. So the odds are that you're like 45 or old. No, yeah, you're probably about 40.
1: I don't think so. There there is some tech in Atlanta. I think we got a younger guy. Probably around 25, 26. Uh Uh-huh. Probably rides a Triumph of some kind. Hmm. I'm going to go with Triumph Scrambler. Okay.
0: See, I think he's like 40. I think he's got some sort of motorcycle with a bar and shield on the side of it. I think he rides a lot, and his wife just can't stand it when he keeps trying to talk about motorcycles, right? So he probably listens to every motorcycle podcast because he's got no one to talk to because he's lonely because he's a motorcyclist. <laughs> you know, uh, he, he's just got us in his earphones right now. He's, he's riding down the road. I think he's a Harley rider with a full face helmet is what I think. Ooh. I think he's probably about 40. He might be 35. He might be 45. But it's definitely a dude. He's on a Harley full face helmet. And, and, and you know what? He's thinking that he might be ready to move to a different kind of bike, but he's still pretty loyal, but, but it's starting to creep in there. All right. You listener Atlanta, you need to send us an email and tell us how close we were. All right. And then we got this guy in Belvedere, Kentucky. Yes. Okay.
1: All right. Let's, let's go all CSI on this guy. Let's see where, whereabouts is Belvedere?
0: Um, yeah, I don't know where Belvedere is. Which is weird, because we used to live not that far from Kentucky. I should know where it is. I feel like I've driven through there, like, years ago with the band or something. I don't know. Oh, is it a neighborhood in St. Louis?
1: In, or, Louisville. In, in Louisville? There we go. Oh, it probably is. All right, so if he's in Louisville, then what are we looking at here? Hmm.
0: Hmm. Yeah, this could be up in the air, because Louisville's a weird city. It's... See, Kentucky, it's, it's really the southern state of the north, right? So, and especially in Louisville, you've got this weird mixture of like, you know, sort of like cutting edge hipsters and total redneck dirtbags. So this is a total 50-50 split on which way we could go with this. I think, again, he's, he's straddling the middle somewhere. I think he's on something that's sort of in a classic vein. But also a bit new. So maybe he's on a V seven. I don't know. It's uh that's uh I'd be
1: impressed if that was correct. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm, this is a tough one. It is. I'm n- I'm just gonna go with Sportster eight eight three.
0: Sportster eight eight three, okay.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna say sportster eight eight three stock.
0: Ooh, okay, yeah. And you know, I think I think he's got a name like James. And um, he, I think he probably holds some sort of, like, weird Guinness World Record, like, longest unicycle wheelie or something like that. <laughs>
1: what does a unicycle wheelie entail exactly? Well,
0: he needs <clears throat> to write into us and tell us. You know what would be really great? So, yeah, so send us an email, James. We uh... Or tweet us, apparently. It's or a possibility. Us. You know, you know what would be really great? If we could get some hate mail. I want hate mail. Send us something just disgusting. Send us something horrible. Tell me that my voice sounds like what drinking a mixture of smegma, pureed frog, and vomit would taste like. That's what I sound like. Tell me something like that. We're going to need more than two listeners for
1: some serious hate mail. That's something you have to earn. I don't
0: know. (laughs) (laughs) These guys know the most about us of anyone else, so... All right, shall we get the show on the road? All right, here we go. Without any further ado, the moment all that two people have been waiting for—the best, worst bike in the world this week. And as always, I don't know what uh, what Swiggy's about to say. So, do you have best or worst this week? I have best. You have best. All right, here we go. Reveal it—the nineteen
1: ninety nine R six. Oh, the last uh, carbureted one? This is the first R6. And I've picked this one for a few reasons. This one's carbureted, right? It is carbureted. Okay. So the R1 existed before the R6. And this was kind of... not. It did not succeed, the YZR 600. Mm -hmm. This was made in parallel with it. And this is at a time when Honda was killing it in the super sport category with the F3. But Honda has always kind of been, you know how Honda is. They're kind of eclectic or schizophrenic in that they either do super reliable middle of the road or they go insane. Right. So Yamaha decided they were going to go insane on something. And they decided we can't just compete with Honda in this all-rounder, style we need to we need to try and do one thing really well and just go for it and they came up with the r6 so this bike first production motorcycle to make more than 100 horsepower stock at 108 horsepower what year is this again 99
0: i don't know i want to well mm, more no no, 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 no. The V Max is making more than a hundred horsepower, first Super Sport. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think there might have been some ninjas. This I is think what I 6 r- is right around. 100, maybe is a
1: hundred at the wheel. This made right. So this made a hundred and eight horsepower on the dyno. And okay, f- there you go. It made it
0: over 100 horsepower at the rear wheel, not at the crank. Right. Okay, I was going to say, my ZX-6 makes 100 at the crank, so, yeah. okay.
1: And then this bike makes 120 at speed with the Ram Air. Yeah. So, in the year this was released, this was the fastest, the highest revving, and the lightest Supersport sport. Well, and the R six still is
0: basically. Yeah, it still
1: is. This bike is ridiculous. So it's three hundred and seventy pounds dry in nineteen ninety nine.
0: Yeah, there were still a lot of super sports pulling like four eighty dry at that time. So this thing red lines at fifteen
1: thousand RPM again in nineteen ninety nine. Well, that's impressive and not impressive. I'm shitting on your point. Now keep going. Yeah. So, what really makes this bike so amazing is that it's so totally uncompromising. If you had a CBR 600RR, I would say, if you've done your MSF course and you've ridden a couple times since then, Mm -hmm. you could jump on a CBR 600RR, no problem. Right. It's pretty forgiving. But, on this bike, you have to rev up to like 4,000 RPM to pull away in first gear. It is so uncompromising. Max horsepower is 120 at 13,000 rpm's. Sounds right. Yep. But max torque is 50 foot-pounds at 11,500. 50? Nice. Yeah. But yeah, but max torque is at over 10,000 rpm's. Yeah. Like, and it's really close to the horsepower. This engine is tuned for performance. Only. Yeah. And it is not user-friendly in
0: any way. I Just like to the ergonomics, like this picture we're looking at, that seat, oh my God. It looks like it must feel like, I don't know what, like wearing a titanium thong would lo- feel like going down a water yeah. slide. <laughs> and you can see that, you know, even though this is a street bike...
1: Uh You can see how the pillion seat is really just more for show than anything, and it's acting as like the backrest on your...
0: Yeah, it's a stop you sliding off the back of it when you hit warp speed.
1: Right. And on top of that, if you look at it, it really is kind of like the missing link between the mid-90s super sport style and the
0: more modern look that sport bikes have. It's true it incorporates a lot of those great 90s styling elements like the graphics that pass from the tank to the fairing and it's not like the 90s jazz look but there's still some like trapezoidal sort of shapes in this yeah. in this red red white and black paint scheme here Um, but it's definitely, but there are no neon colors present anymore, which saddens me since this is from the nineties. Um, it's got the, the very nineties exhaust can on it. It's got a square swing arm. It's got the right way up forks, but it definitely has a sort of, if I, if you just showed me this picture and you said, what year is this R6? My first thought would have been like 2006, Mm-hmm. I'd have been like, oh yeah, it's just like a weird model, you know. Um, it would only
1: be like on closer inspection, looking at how like the subframe's a little weird and the the squared off swing arm, and then you know at closer inspection you'd be like, well, this is a little bit of a Franken bike, just a little bit, because you know it was the first year model.
0: Yeah, it's exposed where the subframe's welded to the main part of the chassis and and all of that. Yeah,
1: right. But this was this was kind of a game changer because. A lot of super sports before this were kind of all just like, well, we'll just take the leader bike and we'll we'll make a new race class out of it. But this was not this isn't just like a scaled down R one. This is a purpose built bike designed to excel at the class and
0: be kick ass and take names. Yeah.
1: This was not designed Did after they have the R. Cross R1. plane crank from the very first year. Oh no this no um the 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 cross plane the cross plane inline 4 i believe is the r1 from 2011 or 2012 onwards it it's not from this era at all okay that's a that's a relatively modern thing the styling's on point it's it's kind it kind of captures a moment in history it was the best at everything in its class at at the time and in many ways the latest still is but it really just kind of changed the game for supersports and
0: this is the first supersport ex- like as we know them today even though right. it's not fuel injected this is close enough this is this is the turning point yeah and for that it it deserves recognition cool cool all right so i am now going to reveal again swiggy does not know what i'm about to reveal The worst bike in the world this week, the Suzuki S40 Boulevard, otherwise known as the LS 650 Savage. Now, a lot of people hate this bike, but for different reasons that I'm about to explain. We're all sort of familiar with this thing. Yeah, Suzuki's really weird single cylinder 650 cruiser thing. The problem with this bike isn't what most people say about it. The problem isn't that it's small, because it's comically small. It's small like a Honda 250 Rebel is small. I love how your worst bikes in the world so
1: far have extensively featured bikes that you suggested that I buy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Look, so the S40 Boulevard, it was Suzuki's first cruiser. And so they thought they'd get into this world of cruisers with this little weird entry model. They're like, we can't, we're not going to compete in like big V twins right off the bat. In fact, they weren't even going to compete in twins in the cruiser market. <laughs> so they went in this 650 single, which is weird and whatever. I don't know why they chose a 650 single for this. And yeah, it's making low power even for a 650 single, but whatever. That's not the, that's not my problem with it. Cause it was supposed to be a beginner bike. It's not that it's small because it was at the time, you know, like it's small, like a Honda Rebel 250, which was its main competitor. It was supposed to compete, you know, as an alternative to like the 250 Ninja. If you wanted a cruiser version, it's not that even it looks dimensionally weird for a cruiser as well, because the proportions are just off on it. It's not that it's ancient technology that doesn't even bother me i mean it does bother me but not enough to make it the worst bike in the world what makes it the worst bike in the world is that they've been making this thing for over 25 years right this is exactly the same bike you were getting in 1980 whatever and it has still failed to produce any kind of emotion in anybody. Say what you want about these small beginner cruiser bikes, there are people out there whose eyes will just light up when you mention a 250 Rebel. And if you mention a 450 Rebel, they'll just come on the spot. There are people who are all about 250 Ninjas. There are people who are all about all these smaller bikes, these low-powered beginner bikes. Saying, Oh, they're so great for this. They're so great for that. No, they're un- they're underappreciated. No one gives a shit about this thing, and it's been around forever. And it is quirky, and it is odd, but it's so uninspiring that even beginners can't get excited about it. <laughs> no one gives a shit. And they're still making it. They're still making it with a carburetor. I don't even know how they get away with that with emissions. It must be because it's so low-tuned that they just somehow do get away with it. I don't know. They the, uh, It was called The Savage. It had a cool name, and people still can't get excited about it. Is that as cool name as the rebel? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. They're not, they're both like sort of cool names for uncool bikes. You know, I'm sure you can find a page of people who are fans of this thing, but there's going to be like six of them talking a lot. Right. You don't, you know, you meet people, we've all met someone that really likes rebel two fifties. Like, yeah, I've had like six of them. I ride them around town. I get groceries or do errands with them. You know, no one, no one has that relationship. Look, when Rika brought out that, um, that cafe kit for this bike, I thought, Oh, maybe it's finally happened. Nope. The Rika kit came and went. I mean, I know Rika still sells them, but no one gives a shit. You've never seen one in person. No one cares. You don't know anyone right now that's, you know, saving up or try or th- really thinking about buying the Rika Cafe kit for it. You don't know anyone.
1: There's so many things about the specs
0: in this bike that confuse me. For
1: instance, why is it belt drive? <laughs> <clears throat> what, what? purpose does the belt drive serve? that may
0: have been one of the very small changes that they made when they took it to the boulevard line rather than it being the ls 650 is drive shaft right there's plenty of things about how weird this bike is to talk about that it should have a cult following but the end result is so uninspiring that no one fucking cares that's why it's the worst bike in the world it excels in weird, but yet somehow manages to fail in being weird. It's also kind of, it's also giving the the bullet
1: 500 a run for its money in how uninspiring that 650
0: motor is. 33 horsepower. I think it is a little bit torquey, but that's it. But that's fine. It, but again, 33 horsepower, it, it doesn't matter that it's making low power because it's competing against the Rebel 250. Right, but why and Ninja 250, and those are similar numbers. Those are way down there. I think they're even less horsepower, in fact. I want to say a Ninja 250 was making like 28, 29. Well, that's what I recall. Right. So, you know, it's... Yeah, it, Uh, There's nothing to get excited about in the end, even though all the individual um, details would reveal something that's quirky and interesting for the price range for the intro bike class, especially if you want an intro cruiser, which there's not a whole lot of. But yet more people get excited about the TU-250. Right, because the TU-250
1: can occupy a space in your life that other bikes won't or won't do at a good price whereas what are you get where where does this live where how does this bike fit itself into your life
0: you know this bike i think would make you really cool if you were like a 17 year old girl that got tattoos without her parents permission <laughs> right <laughs> but i don't know who else this really speaks to Yeah, because again, it's low maintenance, which I think was the reasoning behind the single. It's the only reasonable one I've been able to come up with. It's a 650 single, so you can have some pride in not riding a 250. It's, um, I think belt drive for the low maintenance as well. Um, it's, it's lightweight, but it's heavy for what it is. Like when you see one in person and you learn how much they weigh, you're like, really, dude, why? Um, It's got a small tank, but again, it's a small bike. It doesn't need a whole lot of gas to go anywhere. I mean, it's a really small tank on this thing. Um, Yeah, the forks are small, but again, it's a small bike. It's designed to haul around, you know, 17-year-old girls, I think. Um, Yeah, like, but again... Or 130-pound
1: Japanese men.
0: Exactly. But I don't think they even sell it in Japan. They might, but I don't think they do. Again, no one cares, and it's had plenty of time to establish itself as the quirkiest intro bike and yet no one cares so so
1: here's the other thing
0: more people there's a bigger fan base around the Buell blast, oh yeah, right, mm-hmm. so which okay does outdo this in weird, but this is a close a close second place, so come on why why does no one care because it's uninspiring. Now,
1: here's the thing. For like $1,500 more, I believe,
0: you could get an S50. Oh, the jump to the S50 is ridiculous. Where
1: you get 50 horsepower, 48 foot pounds of torque,
0: and you get shaft drive. Yeah. But again, you know, Suzuki needs something in that small range. Well, I mean, they already do in the TU250 and the TW. <laughs> and and all that. Well, they are they still have the GS250. Right, but they keep stubbornly making this thing. Are they selling a shit ton in Malaysia and we don't know about it? Maybe. Um I ha- I have seen a lot of GS250s around,
1: which is actually a pretty decent competitor to the Rebel 250.
0: Or to the Rebel 250 of old. Right, which doesn't exist <clears throat> anymore, so I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it... I don't know. I'm not faulting the machine for what it is. I'm faulting it for what it's failed to accomplish, which is inspire anyone. I don't know, that's also kind of a...
1: You know, Suzuki kind of has to go all out in something ridiculous to actually garner attention. It is the most neglected of the big four. It's, it you know, if if they don't push something or make something absolutely ridiculous, like the Jixer 750. Or the Busa. Or the Busa. They're just straight up ignoring Or the
0: Skywave. Or
1: the Skywave. <laughs> the Bergman. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> but that's just kind of how it is. Like, you could probably line up, like, four or five of their budget options, and we would get this, the S50, and the GS250. And like anything else we just wouldn't recognize probably is their money because it's not really not off this thing. They must have like 80% of their revenue just tied up in Jixer 750s.
0: <laughs> there are worse places to put your money for your Suzuki. I love the Jixer 750, but okay. So I think I think we've covered it. The the Suzuki Savage, worst bike in the world this week. <laughs> Oh, right. And we're back. So it seems that for like the last six months, maybe even a year, every other word that comes out of a motorcycle podcaster's mouth has to do with the state of the motorcycle industry, like they all own stock in Honda or something like that. And I guess we need to put in our two cents since everybody else has, I guess. I don't know.
1: Sure, why not? I got some feelings on this.
0: Okay, first of all, my immediate thought is, well, motorcycling's always been a bit of a niche thing, right? I really don't need the whole world to ride motorcycles. I would like it, but it's not a deep-seated need for me. Like, it seems to be for a lot of people, and it really wouldn't bother me. Well, it would bother me a little bit, but it wouldn't be the end of the world if almost all motorcyclists disappeared. Because it's sort of like the Adam Carolla porn theory, right? So much porn exists already. Do we really need to make any new porn, right? You couldn't possibly consume all of it that already exists. So if there were no new motorcycle riders ever again, well, then I would just have this unlimited supply of used bikes that I could never exhaust, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not worried about motorcycling disappearing for me, right? So... Why do you want new riders? Well, that just makes the manufacturers keep building more bikes, so we get cooler bikes. You know, the technology keeps moving forward, and we get cooler bikes. So if you're not happy with the state of bikes right now, or you're excited for what's around the corner, then new riders are a great thing. Right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, everyone just seems to think that you need to convince everyone you know to ride, whatever the cost. And okay, new writers is certainly a great thing, and it'll it'll never be a bad thing, but do you really need to convince a whole bunch of people that aren't necessarily into writing and sort of push them into a corner into doing it, and then definitely 100% turn them off of it when it doesn't all work out the way that they want? Or is it a little bit easier to just let them sort of come to it on their own?
1: Well... So, I I have a slightly different position. I I would like more riders. I would definitely like riding to be more accepted and have a better image than it does, especially here in America.
0: Well, I want those things, too. It's just not the be-all and end-all to me.
1: Right. And I I agree with that. You know, if if motorcycling gets no more popular and has no better of an image, I'm fine with that. But it'd be nice to have, and it's something we could push for, and we could get a lot of benefits out of it. Now, in terms of adding new riders to the market, <clears throat> there 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 are a few caveats there. Be nice to have more riders, but what we really don't want is another influx of riders like the baby boomers. Right. That's something we want to avoid at all costs. Especially, we don't want to go through a phase of like midlife crisis millennials buying R1s and just hauling ass on their permits. You know,
0: it's really, it's really um, great that you bring up the baby boomers because everyone seems to be scratching their heads going like, well, why have all these motorcyclists disappeared all of a sudden? It's like, well, duh, the baby boomers are dying. I don't know why no one like correlates this anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I know they're old now, but like, you know, they're not all dead, but they are starting to die. Their effect on society is still relevant. Mm -hmm. and i haven't heard anyone actually connect the dots besides us on this yet i mean they say that harley riders are dying off but they forget the fact that well no it's baby boomers that are dying off that's why honda riders are dying off too suzuki riders are dying off Mm -hmm. you know the all motorcyclists are dying off
1: right now in terms of getting new riders in i think It's a good thing and people should try to do it. And if you want to recruit somebody into the motorcycling world, there's a specific way it should be done. And it's really simple. And that is if you find somebody who expresses interest in motorcycle riding in any way, here's what you do. You just find the web address of your local MSF course school and you just give it to them. Yeah. That's it. And you say, hey.
0: Happy birthday.
1: Yeah. You know, it's one weekend. It's a lot of fun. It's not going to be dangerous. You're going to be in a parking lot, but you're going to learn how to ride a motorcycle. Yeah. And there's no pressure. Like, I haven't bought you a motorcycle. I haven't bought you $1,000 in gear, and you're not committed to yeah, this. you're going to
0: lend them a used helmet you have lying around, and and maybe some gloves. They'll come up with the boots, and they're good to go.
1: Yeah, and then it's just... And you need to introduce it as... Hey, here's a fun weekend. You can get a motorcycle endorsement. If you fail, then it's probably because this really isn't your thing, and you probably don't want to do it. So, well, the you average know, cost. Go go, 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 do it. It'll be a fun weekend, and by the end of it, it'll either be this is not for me, or oh my god, I have to get a motorcycle now. Wait, hang on, I'm
0: pulling up Craigslist now. Yeah, exactly. But- yeah, they'll be on that train real quick. Well, um, I don't think it even has to be someone that has expressed a lot of interest. Just the next time you're thinking of dropping 100 to $200 on a gift for someone, buy them the MSF course instead. Well, even better, go look
1: up what it costs at, you know, an abate course or whatever your local kind of school network is and find out what it really costs because... There are some states where if you have an in-state driver's license, it's free or it's like 50 bucks.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, in a day, in, in an age where a lot of people seem to be moving towards experiences rather than material things, what a great gift. But, hey, 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 buddy, you would never imagine yourself on a motorcycle. And I'm not asking you to be on a motorcycle every day or do this long trip or commit to this lifestyle. I'm just giving you the gift of a little bit of a taste of something, you know, like, you know, plenty of people will buy, you know, their buddies, a, a a day of go karting or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Just have them do the MSF course. Check it out. Look, you get to learn how to ride a motorcycle and don't even say it as that. Just say, Hey, it's a, you get to go do this motorcycle thing. And you know, it doesn't sound super sexy, but if you've never been on a bike at all, The MSF course is semi-challenging and fun, but it's completely within the grasp of 90% of people. Mm -hmm. So it'll challenge them, and they'll have a great time, probably. Even if they end up not doing it, they will understand bikes and appreciate them a lot more and intimately than they did before. So if you really have this idea that a lot more people need to ride, I don't know. Put your money where your mouth is. Once a year, just run a little bit of money to get someone into it. it you know, if you if every motorcyclist, instead of buying pod filters or, uh, or I don't know, what's, a, what's 150 bucks people waste money on with their bikes? Um, sprung saddles. Sprung saddles. <laughs> it, you know, if you can go without a new set of grips this year, you could create another rider. You know what? I bet of all the people, like any random person down the street, if their introduction to bikes was the MSF course, I think 30, 40 percent of people would sort of end up at least semi sticking with it. Yeah, thereabouts. So there you go. For, you know, every three or four hundred dollars you could spend, you could turn that into a rider that dumps in, I don't know. Forty thousand dollars into motorcycles over the course of their lifetime. If you really want to back up these manufacturers and create that base, or how about this? Like uh, motorcycle manufacturers, how about just at dealerships, you start advertising free MSF courses? <gasps> what a crazy idea! Honda themselves could put up, you know, you know, mm-hmm. you know, drop four hundred dollars to get forty thousand over someone's lifetime. Why not seem it's it's better than radio advertising. It's better than it's better than it's better than the Super Bowl in terms of return on dollars. So it's better than Super Bowl advertising in terms of, <laughs> of return. Yeah, it seems pretty common sense to us. You know, if you if, if this hasn't occurred to you, we're not saying you're dumb. It's just obvious to us.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, and you know, a lot of people get up in arms about um not up in arms, but are concerned that, you know, Harley's not doing as well as they were because for better or worse, they're sort of like the barometer, right? Cause they have so much market share, right? They have more than 50% of all motorcycle sales within the U S and everyone else is just fighting over the scraps of what's left. And so if Harley's not doing that well, then everyone else goes, Oh geez, it's time to worry. So I think this might be a good time for us to sort of say some things about Harley Davidson here, because it seems that every motorcycle podcast at some point has to kind of come out of the closet as pro or anti Harley. Yeah, and and um, a lot of people talk about like how no, nah, it doesn't matter what you ride as long as you're on <clears throat> two wheels, you're fine. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say overall, I lean a little bit against Harley Davidson, but I do want a lot of people trash talk them unfairly. And I want to talk about some of the things that I actually do like about Harley Davidson, because there's quite a few of them. And I'll start this by saying that there is currently a Harley Davidson model that I would really like to have it's 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 predictably the bike that most non-Harley people want right now, which is the roadster. The roadster is super cool. I mean, it's a Harley-Davidson with inverted show of forks. How weird is that?
1: Yeah, it's already a little odd, but yeah, I think you know we we've talked about this bike quite a few times, and when you really think about what it is, it's sort of if you took what kind of bikes people were cafeing out back in the sixties and the seventies. And then you took a more modern-style bike and a more contemporary bike. It's almost like a scaled-up, modernized cafe racer by today's standards, just prefabricated.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a cafe racer out of the box. It looks more cafe than any new Triumph. It looks more cafe than the Thruxton. Yeah, I, I know it's super cool, but um, I need to get on and test ride one for my final verdict on it. But in terms of like the numbers and what I've read about it and the way it looks and all of that, it's I'm in love with it. A Little bit pricey for what it well, I don't know if it's a little bit pricey for what it is. It's not outrageous. It's but,
1: like four grand less than a Thruxton.
0: Well, yeah, I would definitely have one over a Thruxton. But I mean, the Thruxton, again, looks like just the most. Uncomfortable, unusable thing that's ever graced two wheels. I mean, it looks cool, but yeah, give me just a regular 9600 instead any day. It'll be faster, it'll be more comfortable, and be more fun. But anyway, so what I like about Harley, I like that even in the face of criticism, Harley sticks to its core values. They say, no, we don't make race bikes you know cuz people will hate on harleys unfairly for being slow they're not supposed to be fast they make understressed motors mm-hmm. that's that's what they do moto guzzi does the same thing and no one rips them for it so stop hating harley for this people cuz that's not the style of engine that they make their engines have great applications get over it the second thing that I like about Harley's is that their fit, finished, like the end product, the paint, the layout, the controls—it's all second to none. It is a nice product, and yeah, no if matter you're into how, it, they're beautiful.
1: No matter how much you may not like what the final design is and what the styling is of any particular bike, the quality is excellent.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it again, the, the markup's a bit too high, but it does warrant a little bit of a higher price than the equivalent metric cruiser. Absolutely. And especially,
1: especially with the new Milwaukee 8s, they are a lot more reliable than they used to be.
0: Well, yeah, and they're finally four-valve. And they're counterbalanced, so we can't. You can't trash them for being as old school technology as you used to be able to. I they mean, have been, they're still
1: not totally up to date. It's and I know that we are. They are being dragged, kicking and screaming, but they're ahead of Mot- Moto Guzzi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so,
0: um, you know, the other thing that I like about Harley Davidson is it's the national motorcycle, like it or not. It's something that, if you're not into it, it does absolutely capture people so much that it becomes an entire lifestyle. Not just motorcycles, their brand. They they know their customers so well, and they listen to their customers so much that they make everything available to them. In, like, the four platforms that they essentially make, maybe five platforms, there's not that many. They cater infinitely within that. If you if you're like, well, you know, I want a, a Honda VFR, but I wish I had this and that and whatever instead. You're kind of shit out of luck. VFR is just kind of a VFR, and without some major surgery, there's not a whole lot you can do to it, especially to the look. I mean, guys, try they put stupid turn signals on and and all sorts of little things, but they're only minor differences and Harley will make sure that what exactly what you want is available to you and it might come at too high a price but whatever they still do it in a way that no one else really does and that's cool you can't hate them for that people will hate Harley because of the stupid decisions that Harley riders make right like ape hangers or whatever. I don't know if Harley Davidson themselves actually sells ape hangers. I'm they probably do. I know the parts catalog is like six phone books in size, but yeah. you know, I, I doubt that these guys are actually buying ha- Harley ape hangers most of the time. It's something, you know, it's something off of bike parts website. I'm sure, mm-hmm. so they could save a couple bucks because they've spent quite a lot on the bike itself. But that's no reason to hate Harley themselves. It's not a bad bike. Is it my favorite bike? No, but it's a good cruiser bike, you know, whichever one you get. There
1: is also somewhat of a market argument in that the fact that Harley riders end up taking out the most credit in mm-hmm. order to purchase their bikes. Right. You know, even if you don't agree with that decision, the fact that so many people have the largest debt to income ratio purchasing these bikes yeah <laughs> does say something about them serving that demand
0: yeah you know think about how many more dealers there are where you can pick up a honda kawasaki suzuki whatever because that dealership sells harleys too which has been their bread and butter to stay above water so they can also bring you these other would there be a honda dealership in your town or a Triumph dealership, or whatever, if there wasn't a Harley dealership? I don't know. You know, because there are like the great big giant Harley-only dealerships, but there's at least as many that are multiple brands. It's whatever, whatever motorsports, and they have a whole bunch of brands, and they push themselves on the Harley brand, which, again, is their bread and butter, and allows them to sell a bunch of other weird used bikes or other brands that they're also dealers for.
1: Yeah, and especially those of us who really like a lot of the Japanese bikes and like a lot of weird things. My my local uh, Yamaha dealership, you know, a few blocks from me, is I combined Yamaha, Suzuki, and Indian dealership. And there's no way in hell you would be able to buy a Suzuki around here if it wasn't attached to an Indian dealership. Yeah,
0: the like, the Kawasaki Honda place in, in in my town is a Harley dealership. It's called Wild West, but they have a big Harley Davidson sign over the building. And then a smaller Honda sign. And a smaller yeah. Kawasaki sign. And an even smaller Polaris sign. Actually, I don't know if they do Polaris anymore. They used to. It might be different. Now. Anyway.
1: No, there's no way they got rid of all of those four-wheelers.
0: I think they moved to no, no. It's not Kawasaki. It's it's Honda and Yamaha. They sell Yamaha four wheelers now. That's what mm-hmm. they do. Anyway, irrelevant. No, it's not irrelevant. That's again. That's there are that many more dealerships because dealers can survive on selling these Harleys and then do other cool stuff as well. So, you know, they just want to sell you a bike of whatever kind of bike they can sell you. It turns out having a big bar and shield on the front of the building gets more feet in the door. They are the ambassadors of motorcycles to America in a lot of ways. Yeah, people are aware that crotch rockets exist and all that, but non-motorcycle people have no idea what the hell we're talking about. They can't recognize brands, models, even different types of bikes. You know, if you show a non-motorcycle person an adventure bike, they kind of like just go cross-eyed and start drooling when you ask them like to explain what they think it is uh uh, this doesn't fit into my idea of a motorcycle what about a harley i know what those are right they're iconic and you know especially in the 80s and and 90s you know they really kept bikes going why are you gonna hate on that you know I know they overplay some of the things that they do, you know, always talking about their heritage and you walk into a Harley dealer and they've got, you know, pictures of race bikes from the 1920s. And it's like, yeah, Harley hasn't been racing for a long time. I don't know why they're trying to play on this racing heritage (laughs) these days, but live to ride, ride to live. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, and I know a lot of the places, just a, a bunch of cheap metal covers with squashed birds on them, but Hey, that that a lot of people think that they're going to get into bikes by thinking that they want a Harley or because their friend is a Harley. And then, like me, they end up being into something else. I, at first, thought I wanted a big cruiser Harley. And instead, I just bought the cheapest thing that I could. And I kept buying bikes that were still Japanese that were more big cruiser-ish. And then eventually just found myself into sport bikes because it turns out that's what I really like. And I didn't know that until I tried a bunch of bikes, but it was the idea of a Harley Davidson that got me to take that plunge the first time. So you can't say that it's this giant force of evil because it's not. Mm -hmm. A lot of people seem to feel that way anymore. Anyone on something Japanese, not anyone on something Japanese, but a lot of people, you know, an us against them mentality. Now, I can understand an us against them mentality in terms of like motorcyclists and bikers, because there's a lot of bikers that are major douchebags. Yeah, I know there's a lot of other riders that are major douchebags as well. It doesn't seem to be as outwardly, overtly an aggressive image that they support as it does some of these, you know, MC guys and and all of that stuff. They seem to have an obligation to try to appear as intimidating and as offish as possible, which is curious to me. But again, Especially
1: since most of them are dentists.
0: Exactly. But those are people, not the company Harley-Davidson. Those are people that just make strange choices. So whatever. There are plenty of things that I dislike about Harley, too, and and just a few more than the ones that I like. But I did want to put it out there that there are many things about the company that I admire. And to pay respect to that and uh, the points that I'm making, I'm not going to mention the serious hardcore issues I have with them in this episode, at least I'm just going to say nice things about them and leave it there. I think that's a good call. Okay. Let's take another break here. Cause I need to get some more beers. <laughs> okay. And back again. Okay. So two weeks from the airing of this episode is, can you even say airing? You have to say dropping now, don't you? You drop podcasts. You don't air them. That is
1: the proper nomenclature.
0: There we go. I'm such a bad podcaster. I think it's the first time I've called myself a podcaster or referred to myself that way. It's weird. All right, so... Two weeks from you listening to this, roughly March 1st, is the beginning of the MotoGP season. This is not a racing podcast, but we are so nuts for MotoGP. There's no way we're not going to be talking about this as the season goes on, in bits and pieces anyway. Okay, so right now we're in testing. Sepang testing just ended. Mm -hmm. And what's the next one?
1: Two weeks from now, they're testing in Thailand.
0: Okay, so this is, like, the perfect time. I don't care if you've never even seen MotoGP, and it's likely that you haven't, because it's, like, crazy difficult to watch if you don't just pay for the video pass to watch it. You can't see it on BN Sports. Which no one has, because no one has cable anymore, unless you're a baby boomer, which means there's a pretty good chance you're going to die by the time this episode's over.
1: It's a good chance.
0: So... (laughs) And you're definitely losing your uh, appeal for motorcycles anyway, not your appeal for it, your zeal for motorcycles anyway, if the if other podcasts in the state of the uh, new motorcycle markets, anything to judge. So you should care about MotoGP and you need to follow this season because the last three or four seasons have been the greatest seasons in the history of MotoGP, possibly racing in general of any time anywhere. This is the golden age of this sport right now. The riders have never been more charismatic or hateable or likable. Obviously never had the performance that they have right now or even anything close to it. They there's never been so much drama between riders and the rivalries and the team rivalries. The tracks have never been as good as they are right now or in such crazy, exotic places or so much around the world. It's never been as televised or as cast as it is on the Internet, because right now for like 170 bucks, you get every practice session, every qualifying session, every race. And they're adding some electric bike races this year. So it's like less than a dollar per you know session or race. Over the whole season. And here's the great news, guys. It's not like football season, which is only around for a brief moment of your life. This goes from March until November. Mm -hmm. This is the majority of the year. And then there's only, what like a six-week break where there's not even any testing of any kind, right? mm -hmm.
1: So the video pass right now is about $175. Yeah. The thing to keep in mind is that when you take all 21 races and you consider all the free practices, all of the interviews, the qualifying, and the race itself, you're really paying a little under $2 per hour of content.
0: Well, and also, it's not 21 races, it's like 63 21 rounds. Oh, right. So, yeah. So, three classes.
1: So here's the thing: you don't. It's not just the Moto GP; it is the uh, the one liter Moto GP class, but it's also the 600 cc Moto Two class and the 250 cc Moto Three class. And all three
0: are amazing to watch.
1: They're all excellent. They all have their strengths. If you follow all of them, you get to see all the new riders coming up the ranks. In a lot of ways, it's not strictly a promotional league system. But in a lot of ways, it is, and a lot of the rising talent that makes it into MotoGP come from the lower leagues,
0: almost exclusively anymore, really. But occasionally, some guys jump from World Superbike, but that's that's getting rare.
1: Yeah, occasionally you'll get you'll get a guy once in a blue
0: moon from British Superbike or from World Superbike. And usually that's the route where they were like a super bike championship, and then they became a test rider for a factory. And then they did well as a test rider, and they get to do some exhibition right. races. And yeah. But
1: in short, it's, it's great to have the VODs to watch on demand, especially since it usually occurs around
0: 3 a.m. Yeah, so it's impossible to watch it live all the time because this happens around the world. Every two weeks, it's just in some other crazy country.
1: Mm-hmm. The one other thing I will say before we jump into our little primer on the riders and the factories is all I really want to say is that if you've been watching Formula One and you found it wanting in terms of action and suspense and just all-around entertainment factor, there are races from the 2017 season of MotoGP that have more passes than the entire 2017 Formula One season. Yeah,
0: this is action-packed. Riders smack into birds. Riders take out other riders. Uh, You've never seen something like a MotoGP crash. It is something else. It's amazing what these guys live through. Um, I mean their safety gears out of this world now. It's very rare that they hurt themselves that badly anymore. You know, I mean there's broken collarbones all over the place, but broken fingers, a couple hurt In fact, I think they hurt themselves more in the off season than they do on the track. Yeah, anymore. And they
1: mostly hurt themselves doing motocross in the off season.
0: <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it is yeah, formula racing. This is the this is the Formula One of motorcycles, but it's so much better. It's so much cooler. You've got to get into this. You don't, even if you're a Harley rider and you're not into sport bikes, these have as much to do technology-wise with my sport bike as they do your Harley. They are so much on a different planet of bikes. They happen to just look like crotch rockets. They resemble what we're riding in no way, other than having two wheels. Right. The the technology is insane. All right, so let's, uh, so let's just do a quick primer
1: on the factories and their riders. Okay, we're starting with Yamaha.
0: <clears throat> we're going to start with Yamaha. So Yamaha, as a factory, are probably the most boring factory. I'm just going to go out there and say it. They they don't really release a lot of crazy statements. They don't make a lot of huge statements with the way their bikes look or dramatically different designs. They just sort of do everything all around really well.
1: Yeah, and they're all about just constantly dialing in what they start with in the season. And in general, the Yamahas aren't the best bike at the beginning of the season, But as they dial in what they've designed in the off-season, more often than not, they are the best bike by the end of the season.
0: Yeah, last year that worked the opposite way, but whatever. Yes. But Yamaha has an ace up their sleeve, which is a little guy named Valentino Rossi. Now, you've probably heard of Valentino Rossi, but if you haven't, all you need to know is Michael Jordan...
1: Dale Earnhardt.
0: Yeah, fuck Dale Earnhardt. (laughs) And combine Peyton Manning, Michael Jordan, and like your favorite porn star all into one person and put him on a motorcycle. And by the way, he has like so many more wins than like anyone else in history. Probably like regardless of sports.
1: I think you have to go back to like the 70s. To find, like, a rider who was as dominant as Rossi in his prime.
0: Well, that'd be Giacomo Agostini, but that's a whole different episode, that guy. So, yeah, Valentino Rossi is synonymous with the sport. He's super charismatic. He's super cool. He's still competitive. He is crazy old compared to the other riders. He's 39, and he's still competitive. Which is, like,
1: 75 in motorcycle years. Right. (laughs) It's (laughs) nuts. The thing to point out here is that if, we, if we're talking about Yamaha and their performance last year, they didn't do so well. They had some real big design issues, which is you know happens on occasion, and mm-hmm. I believe last year was Yamaha's worst season in about ten years. Right. So. There's probably going to be a bit of a... You pull all the stops to fix it.
0: Right. Well, they've also got a second potentially secret weapon, Maverick Vinales. Right. Who was hot shit in other classes, jumped into MotoGP, immediately made a splash, won his first three races in his rookie season right off the bat. I believe he only won one
1: MotoGP race in his first first season in MotoGP on the factory bike
0: oh no he started on suzuki that's right sorry last year when he switched to yamaha after only riding one season for suzuki so he won
1: one season with the suzuki the year before last last year he won three races but also fell off pretty hard because the yamaha had a lot of issues yes it did. now maverick vinales is speculatively the best rider on the grid
0: Let's put it this way. He's potentially the largest untapped talent.
1: Right. But we don't really know because the Yamaha was so bad last year. Right. Now, if it turns out that the Yamaha is good and it's competitive, we may see Vinales just sweep the whole season, but we have no idea.
0: We could also see Rossi sweep the whole season. This is going to be a recurring theme. This is one of the reasons MotoGP is so good.
1: Right. So that's I a good on primer to there. Ducati. Let's talk about Ducati.
0: Ducati's my favorite race team. Ducati is so Italian. I mean, and it's not just Italian because it's Italian. It really embodies the Italian spirit. A lot of people call Ducati the motorcycle Ferrari for many reasons. Ducati Corse is to Ducati what Scuderia Ferrari is to Ferrari, right? Ducati Corse is a separate sort of corporate entity in a lot of ways to Ducati, like Scuderia Ferrari is. And I don't know if Ducati Corse predates Ducati, like, for, like Scuderia Ferrari predates Ferrari, but they... Get to do whatever the hell that they want, and they do crazy things, and most importantly, they cheat like crazy. Yes. There's so much controversy, especially around the aerodynamic design of what they're doing, and a lot of other teams are pointing and saying that it's unfair and whatever. What's also important to note about Ducati is that they are underfunded compared to other race teams. They are the poor kid on the block. You think of Ducati as this big, iconic name. They must have a lot of money behind them. They might be half the size of KTM. They might be a quarter the size of Suzuki. They might be a tenth the size of Honda. Well,
1: Honda eclipses the entire
0: grid in terms of net
1: worth. Right.
0: Well, yeah, Ducati has said, uh, Honda has said if they wanted to, they could just buy the whole league or series. (laughs) But anyway... Yeah, so Ducati is very much an underdog and what's so exciting about them is that with less money they've been pulling out some amazing races and they damn near won last year.
1: Yeah, it was very <laughs> close. It did come down it came down to the final race <laughs> and it was all done by somebody we're both a huge fan of, Dovi. Andrea
0: Dovizioso. Is it Andrea is it? I thought it was Andre. Andrea. Whatever. Dovey. Everyone just calls him Dovey. That's all you need to know. Uh, Desmo Dovey. Now, Dovey was sort of forgotten about almost. Not forgotten about, but talked about a lot less. He was. He's never won a championship. I don't even know if he's won championships in the lower classes. And... He was obviously a talented writer but has never been able to put together a good season until last year and he came out of nowhere and was neck and neck for the title for a lot of the season. He's known for kind of writing a little bit more conservatively and then bringing out moments of aggression Mm -hmm. and last year just dialed it up like no one could believe. On three different occasions managed to beat
1: The current reigning champion and four-time world champion in the last five years, Mark Marquez. And he won against him in last lap battles.
0: Yeah, so good. So good. Such
1: exciting races. So now we need to see how is the Ducati going to do this year? Is he going to put up that kind of pace again? I think he will. And he he did have a few races that were a little weak, but... He was, of all of what we call the aliens, which are, you know, the superhuman riders who put out ridiculous feats all the time. He was the most consistent with the fewest crashes. So, how's the Ducati going to do? If it, if they dial it in a little bit more, if he can string that kind of performance together again, we could see Davizioso take it.
0: Yeah. Now let's talk about Jorge Lorenzo. Yes. Jorge Lorenzo is one of the most polarizing guys on the grid. Though he has this strange fan base that is quite vocal. I don't know why they like him, but I know why I like him because he's a total dickhead. He is so fucking hateable. And I love him because I think he finally is embracing being the bad guy to put this in terms that americans will understand he's like
1: a less successful tom brady
0: okay (laughs) he's he's super hateable though he is a really hateable face and he's always doing something stupid with his mustache and goatee and dyeing his hair in order to feel like you want
1: to punch this guy in the face just go look up jorge lorenzo's instagram
0: Oh, yeah. All of the guys on MotoGP have Instagrams that'll make you kind of hate them, where there's a lot of, like, workout videos and pictures of them with their shirts off and everything. But only Jorge Lorenzo does things like take selfies of himself and not just first class, like... Ultra first class, <laughs> like the kind of first class flights where you have like a sleeping pod. We all assume you do, like Ducati flies you first class places. You don't need to just remind us how much wealthier you are, you know, like that. Why, you know, Rossi's very much a man of the people in that way, even though he probably has more money than the whole sport put together besides himself, he very much still tries to be a man of the people. Jorge does not do this. (laughs) Jorge bitches and whines and complains about rules, tire changes, other people's riding styles. Safety regulations. Safety regulations. If you could (laughs) complain about it, Jorge Lorenzo will complain about it. But I think last year, there was a big controversy where um, it was his first year on the Ducati team, and he was slower than Dovey. And there were many times the team told him on the dashboard of his bike to get out of the way and let Dovey through. And like a dickhead, Lorenzo refused to do it. And he is I finally think... embracing his dickhead bad guy image. Yes. And this year, if you watch MotoGP, you're going to see Jorge Lorenzo do something that I'm, I'm convinced someone's going to punch him in the face on camera. It's going to happen this year. I hope so. But right. the great thing about
1: well the, the thing that makes Davizioso look so good last season is actually the fact that on Yamaha, Lorenzo was a four-time world champion in the sport. And he switched over to Ducati, and Davizioso absolutely creamed him oh, yeah. in the points. So So we need to think now, coming into this season does Jorge Lorenzo have no ability to adapt? Because Lorenzo is a very clean rider. And if he's got open track in front of him, his strength is that he can always hit the perfect line and just pull away. And another reason why he's very much done like is that when he wins, it's a really boring race. Oh,
0: it's a snooze fest. He, well, it's, it's, you know. But there are other guys that can lead a race and be exciting to watch. Do so, Marquez, for example. Rossi at times. Cal Crutchlow's really mm. great when he's out in front. Zarco's really great to watch when he's leading. Lorenzo looks slow at two hundred miles an hour. Right cuz everything he does is just so clean but he can only do it
1: when the track is 90 degrees is 90.181 degrees yeah <laughs> and it's dry and he and he's got on a head- Yamaha on a Yamaha and he got ahead in the first lap so and it's a and it's
0: a <clears throat> Spain or an Asian country right.
1: but it was his first year on the Ducati so we need to see has he adapted has he figured it out now cuz he had that disadvantage behind lorenzo he's too stubborn he's not going to figure it out well we'll see
0: all right so next manufacturer honda honda big red so honda is again they have the they're the biggest factory they have so much money honda has all the craziest high tech stuff and this and that whatever and they have the superstar rider right now besides valens well hang Rossi. on let's
1: let's talk about honda a little bit more cuz honda as as in the in the motorsport industry is absolutely stubborn to a fault because you can think of ducati as the absolute powerhouse where they go for raw horsepower they're using their desmodromic valves to get around variable valve timing rules you're
0: cheating you've got
1: (laughs) you've got yamaha they excel but they're all-rounders so mm-hmm. they just dial everything in and create the best most balanced bike they can honda's a little crazy especially when it comes to motorsports for instance last year they had their um reverse crankshaft engine yeah which robbed it of like 9 horsepower but they did it to have the engine turning in the opposite direction as the wheels to cancel out. They oh, have to
0: counter the gyroscopic force. Yes. Oh, that's crazy.
1: Yeah. Which. Is why only Marquez can ever ride the bike and why Crutchlow and Jack Miller are like, what the fuck is this?
0: This is the most unstable, most ridiculous bike ever. Why aren't there more conspiracy theories about Honda cheating? Because, you know, like Ducati cheats so much that like people look at the weird shape of the tail and they're like, are there gyroscopes in there that stop the bike from wheeling? What's in the salad box? What's in the salad box? Exactly. (laughs) Well, here's the thing.
1: Ducati recently has really picked up that flag in terms of very, very obvious cheating. Yeah. But Honda, if you look back from like the 60s onwards, like up until the late 90s, Honda
0: really, really led the way in terms of cheating. Oh, they did. Well, Old Man Honda, uh, Sotiro Honda, is that his name? Sotiro, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, he went to Isle of Man in like 1958 or something like that and was like, okay. Next year, we're coming with race bikes, and everyone just laughed him off. And then they came the next year with, with race bikes, and they didn't do very well, and everyone laughed him off. And then they came a third year, or their second year, and they stormed. They just destroyed everybody. They All the British were running, like, two-strokes. And the Japanese were running equivalent CC overhead cam four strokes, and the British bikes were running, like, side valve shit and things like that. And they destroyed them. And since then, Honda's had a winning record in every kind of racing, whether it's go-karts, NASCAR Formula One. Well, they haven't been doing well in Formula One for a while, but they did. They did do very well in past decades.
1: If you think of almost every single regulation in Formula racing, both
0: motorcycle and
1: car racing, is pretty much because of Honda.
0: Yeah, a lot of people don't realize too that Honda started with motorcycles. Like Honda is first and foremost a motorcycle company. But they do all this other stuff. They make weed whackers. They make lawnmowers. They make cars. And if you actually, all, if a little bit of all those dollars go into the Honda Racing Company because old man Honda was obsessed with motorcycle racing. And if you some, want to see the apex of that, at some point, Honda Racing is amazing. At
1: some point, I'm going to have to do like a full podcast episode on Soichiro honda and but oh, we totally group. should because he's such a character
0: just just a quick
1: aside if you well don't yeah, look ahead because you're going to want hear content, a nokomoto
0: no uh history podcast yeah. like tweet us and tell us if you do because there we've got a couple ep- like ideas kicking yeah. around and it's so
1: crazy Soichiro honda had a huge number of failures to put it in perspective his first business was out of the garage that he worked as a mechanic at making piston rings for Toyota. Yeah. And his business failed because Toyota rejected them because they weren't good enough quality. That was his first business. And now Honda totally eclipses Toyota. But back to modern Honda. Honda is has always been totally schizophrenic in that it's either super reliable Kind of just a little bit boring, a little bit toned down. Or it's or, the NR750. Or it's the NR750, and it's an inline four with 36 valves. Yeah. yeah.
0: And eight connecting rods.
1: Or a V8 125CC
0: two-stroke. Right. Or, you know. So, inline fives? Yeah. I don't know why they thought an inline five was a great... I guess no, an inline no, five would be a perfectly no, balanced motor, just no. like a three. It but... was a it was a V5 that Rossi rode. No, no. In the 60s, they made a They version, made an... They made an R, it was like the RC145 or something. It was a weird designation. I'm pretty sure there is no
1: combination of configuration... And cylinders that Honda has not tried at this point. Or aren't still secretly trying. I'm sure they've made a box five. I've never seen it. I have no evidence for this. But I'm confident that it exists. Suzuki used
0: to race a box five in MotoGP. Did they? The Gamma. Ooh. Back in the 500 days. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, let's get on to the... Well,
1: I... Okay, so just... We keep getting sidetracked because this is Honda and there's just too much to go All right, Danny Petrosa. All right, Danny Petrosa. Danny Pedrosa is probably one of the shortest riders on the grid. He is
0: the shortest,
1: and he is a buck a
0: buck ten He
1: is so the thing about Danny Pedrosa is he's an excellent rider. He is considered alien status, which is you know cream of the crop rider. But just like Davizioso has
0: not strung together a winning season, and in he's finished second place. In the championship, like he may six have different times. He
1: may have the most second place wins of any other rider on the grid. Well, he's got plenty of
0: like all out wins and in individual races to his name. Right. Championship, agreed. Uh, he's good for three for like three wins at least every season. Right.
1: He's also. And this is a
0: sport where many riders will never win a race.
1: The, I would say probably fifty percent of the grid wash out. After five or six years, not breaking top ten, yeah. So Danny Pedrosa, he strings together excellent races. He's confirmed alien status in the you know top six or top five. He did win a lot of championships in lower classes. He did, but he's always had, or maybe th- just one two five. Yeah, he he's that rider that's never had the stars align for him, and he's also had a lot of issues. Because he is such a small rider, he has broken his collarbone on four separate occasions in his career.
0: Yeah, yeah, he gets you, injured pretty easy. You've,
1: you've got to love him. There is nothing you could possibly hate about Danny Pedrosa.
0: Yeah, he seems like the nicest guy. <laughs> Like if, awesome. if he crashes into somebody or someone crashes into him, he's the type of guy that immediately runs up to the other team's um paddock and is like, oh, Are you okay, man? Like, what's go- I'm really sorry about that, you know? And in a sport with huge egos, with huge money, with huge everything, everybody likes Danny Pedrosa. Yeah. I admit I like him. Yeah, you know, I always want to see him win. Every time Danny wins, I love it.
1: Yeah. His so- biggest
0: problem is. Is he's overshadowed by his teammates. Yes, he could have won in uh, 2014, 2015. If his 2000,
1: teammate... 2014 would have been a fucking layup, if it wasn't for Mark Marquez.
0: Pretty much this entire season uh, of 14, 15, and maybe and for like half of 16, Mark Marquez won almost everything, and in second place, just a second behind him, it's was Danny
1: It was the first 10 consecutive races were won by Mark Marquez in 2014.
0: Which tied Giacomo Agostini for the record of most consecutive GP wins.
1: Yeah. And nobody has done that in the 1,000cc four-stroke class. No. So Mark Marquez is... Possibly the next Valentino Rossi. It's very likely... What you need to know about Mark Marquez is Mark Marquez has been genetically engineered to be the greatest motorcyclist of all time. He might be a cyborg. (laughs) Mark Marquez has won four of the last five seasons. Or is it three of the last four? Four of the last five. I believe it's four of the last five. And he's a little crazy. Well, he's young. He's young, (laughs) dumb, and full of cum. Oh, yeah absolutely he's one of those riders that comes along every 10 15 years that just changes the game where something to keep in mind and you, you can go look this up on youtube right now and just search in like mark marquez crash recovery it's or, amazing so normally when you're riding a motorcycle and you're riding a super sport and you go into a 60 degree lean going through a corner The combined surface area of your tires touching the tarmac is about the size of a credit card. And if you break traction, then usually it's just over. As soon as you overcome friction and that wheel slides out, if if your front wheel goes, you have crashed.
0: You're going to have a bad
1: time. Mark Marquez has just changed the game entirely in that... Apparently you can crash and get back up mid turn and save the race. Yeah, and no then go else, on to win the race.
0: No one else has figured out the magic formula for how to do this. And there's no, well, no way to explain started, how he does it because it started you just to have happen. to see it.
1: No, here's the thing. It started to happen now. Oh really? You uh yeah. At the end of last year in the uh Valencia tests, mm-hmm. Bautista went down. And pulled off the same thing.
0: And you had a... To be fair, if you're going to think about writers that have as much experience at crashing as Mark Marquez, Bautista would be up there. (laughs) A lot of people have theorized Marquez has gained this ability because his strategy...
1: Is was, to crash
0: every Saturday
1: yeah, and, and then,
0: then win Sunday. Well, no, he would ride until he found the absolute limit on every course. Mm-hmm. And he would find that limit by crashing so that he knew exactly to what degree he could push the bike everywhere and I mean, and he wouldn't just crash once. He'd crash in practice. He'd crash in second practice. He'd crash in qualifying. And then when it came to race day, he knew exactly how he'd far often he could push crash it twice day.
1: in FP four.
0: Yeah, his team would have to frantically put a
1: bike back together. And then if he crashed Q one or in Q two, he wouldn't have a second bike to go back to. Yeah, in the twenty fourteen season, there was a great moment where they were messing with the bikes and they were trying some different things and Mark Marquez went out on his number 1 bike which they were experimenting with found out that it was no good and the engine was like just absolutely shrieking and it was mm-hmm. unrideable but he didn't have time to get to go back around the, the yeah back around the track i remember this now so at the end of pit lane he just propped he stopped propped the bike up against the pit wall climbed over it and ran back to his garage to get his second bike almost set a lap record coming out of the pit lane like well not no wasn't really close but he put a really impressive time for coming out of pit lane getting back around the track getting across the starting line to get a final lap in and pretty much not setting a qualifying time. The entire session managed. He finished pole. Didn't he? he finished pole at Coda
0: doing one lap on that bike? One lap on his number two bike. Yeah. The guy's a next level talent for sure. But like Lorenzo, he's so fucking hateable. He's, he's way too happy all the time and I, I, he he's so unreasonably happy that i think the
1: impression that a lot of people get about him is that he's a psychopath. People think he's intrinsically just innately you feel like he is so unreasonably happy all the time that he must be a total psychopath
0: putting on a mask. Okay, i i i've thought a lot about this and i figured out what like annoys me about him. It maybe you have to be my age to understand this, but when we were all introduced to Leonardo DiCaprio, we <laughs> all hated the shit out of him, right? Because teenage girls, especially European teenage girls, wouldn't fucking stop talking about Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio, right? And then something happened when Leonardo DiCaprio turned 30, like, And we all went, wait, holy shit, this guy's really good. You know, it was I think like it was like when like Catch Me If You Can came out, right? We're like, no, wait a minute. He's actually a pretty cool dude. This guy can act. Like, we love him. And now Leonardo, he's like, he's Leonardo DiCaprio now is almost like at the level like Jack Nicholson was like 20 years ago, right? He's just sort of that guy. And when a certain crowd, he's up there with Tom Hanks. Exactly. I think. Maybe my problem with him is he's got this, like, super boyish, hateable face combined with insane teenage girl fandom. Because that's the craziest thing about anything in motorcycles is that European teenage girls are fucking wet for Mark Marquez. Like, you want to revive the motorcycle industry? Start appealing to European girls with, like, 125cc bikes that have the number 93 put all over them. (laughs) Because they'll fucking buy them. Because they love the shit out of Marc Marquez. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: But I don't know. I think I think my Leonardo Di- DiCaprio thing might 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 pan out here. I think I think like Mark Marquez might turn 30 and win his like, you know, ninth championship, tenth championship, and all of a sudden we'll go, Oh yeah. I don't know, I don't know why we hated this guy the whole time. <laughs> but right now I fucking hate him. I don't know why. I don't know why I do. But um, I do. I he's exciting to watch. He's so exciting to watch. But I personally I hate him. I've never met <laughs> the guy, but I just know that we could not hang out. We couldn't. There's no way. Cause like I'd be like, hey, you like want to grab some beers? We like go to the bar and he'd order an apple teeny and I'd just have to like kick him in the nuts. And he'd ask for like a non alcoholic apple teeny too. He'd be like, Oh, well, I can't have the calories, I gotta be down at race weight, and I'd just like fucking hit him. And then I'd go hang out with Jack Miller.
1: <clears throat> All right. So now let's uh, <clears throat> let's move along, and we're going to talk about our underdogs here. Suzuki. So yeah. Suzuki only joined,
0: rejoined, two years ago. Suzuki used to win a lot of races back in like the eighties, mm-hmm. and then really had a. Not so great, you know. GP motorcycle tenure through the nineties and early two thousand. No, they probably no. They were still around the early two thousands, weren't they? Early two thousands. Yeah. Then they dropped off the map, and now they've been back. And they have a cool bike. They're running the only inline four on the grid. The only factory inline four. Wait, what? <laughs> what's non factory that's running an inline four? What are you talking about? Uh, there are. You look it up. I am talking about Suzuki they have been choosing unusual riders for their unusual bike by the standards of the sport their their MotoGP bike while still a crazy prototype race bike is probably the closest to the factory bike that they make that you can buy in dealerships i mean it's still not the same bike at all but it's the closest they are picking unusual riders. They got one of Ducati's less successful riders um, on their team. They had Maverick Vinales as a straight up jump up from a lower class, and they've also they had these um, they had a Spargro, and now they've got Alex Renz, who was a rookie last year, but for all intents and purposes is still a rookie because he only what did like three or four races. Uh no, he
1: missed like five or six races off the end of the season when he broke his leg.
0: I feel like he missed more than that, but maybe not. But well, no, you just
1: never saw him because he was
0: at the back. It was he was bringing up the rear. Turd. Yeah, I don't know. He did a lot of great things in Moto Two. He was amazing in Moto Three, but he's sort of blah. We don't really know who he is or what he's going to do because we just haven't seen that much of him. Now Iannone is a different story. Ianone is a hell of a character. Ianone is not the most talented writer on the grid, <laughs> but you want to talk about charisma points. <laughs> yes. This guy is banging supermodels every night, getting drunk, hanging out with his bros, playing volleyball like a scene from Top Gun traveling all over the world, being seen with movie stars, just really living up the life, and only putting up enough race results, I feel, to just barely keep his lifestyle alive.
1: I don't feel like this is appropriate for all the writers, but for a moment, I just need to pull up Ian One's Instagram.
0: Yeah. It's a lot of shirtless pictures of himself, way more than all the other writers. Maybe as many as all the other writers put together
1: there's generally a lot of uh, shots of him with his buddies in their underwear in the same bed just (laughs) instagram shot with a black and
0: white filter if you want to here's ianoni in a nutshell ianoni is the most likely writer on the grid to be photographed wearing a fur coat and no shirt underneath He's the most likely to have any number of STDs at any point. He is the definition of greasy euro trash in a very, very satisfying way. He's a basic bro. Like, y- you know, this guy struggles with algebra, but. <laughs> 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 You know, but <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? He's a much better motorcycle rider than I am. He's good for crashes. He while he doesn't really like change uh the nature of a race with his riding style he does make it more interesting with his crashing style.
1: Absolutely, You never
0: know who he's <clears throat> going to take out. And it's usually someone key. So <laughs> watch out for Ianoni on the Suzuki.
1: <laughs> well, he did pull a few good results in at the end of last year.
0: Yeah, a um, few.
1: So Suzuki's season has only gotten worse since Vinales left, who is really the rising talent. And it's a question of what can they do with the bike? Because it is the most nimble bike on the grid. Well, but that's the, the advantage of because the Because they did of... so
0: well when they first came back, they lost their concessions as a new team. And now they've got them back. So, they get more test engines, they get more more of everything in terms of development and testing time and all mm-hmm. of that. So, Suzuki this year will have more resources available to them for development, so they might do something interesting. And who knows, maybe Iononi will go sober for a while and put in some race. Because Iononi is fast, he's just crazy reckless. His nickname's The Maniac, and for very good reason. That's true. Uh, there's a couple other guys we should talk about real quick and then wrap this well, up. Well,
1: um, so there's Alex Rins, who's also on Suzuki.
0: Well, we already mentioned him, but he's just blah. We yeah. really need to see what happens. All I want right. To so talk about Zarko. Let's talk about Zarco. Let's talk about Zarco. So last year,
1: Zarco was on the.
0: Tech 3 Yamaha. On the
1: Tech 3 Yamaha, which is not. This is it a satellite team? So for those of you who are not familiar with the terminology, satellite team is basically a non-factory supported team so it's a yamaha but yamaha does not directly fund them and they do not directly supply them with parts and r&d so they're generally buying up older models or frequently getting last year's model of the bikes that rossi and vinales will get so zarko
0: the year before last won moto 2 won it two times in a row which no one's ever done before in that class
1: which is odd because normally you get promoted when you win at moto 2 in moto 2 yeah. but i believe he passed up because there were there were no bikes available and still somehow ended up in tech 3 which is really weird but zarko kind of took a cannonball approach to his rookie season yes in did. in moto gp He generally went for soft tires nearly every single race, gunned it like hell at the start, tried to get ahead, and then tried to manage tires after getting ahead, or often got ahead and did not try to manage tires.
0: Yet somehow still managed to manage tires. <laughs> yeah. He has a riding style that no one can fully explain, because on the other Yamahas, by, uh, riders were complaining about not being able to manage tires, and the chassis forcing them to burn their tires up. Yet Zarco was able to just gun it like a bat out of hell. Zarco. More than Iannone has the most reckless style on the grid, but is that talented? He's able to manage that fine margin of risk in a way I don't think anyone else besides Marquez can do. If you gave Zarco full factory backing, he would be a contender for the win this year.
1: It's also a little weird though, because you know he's he spent a lot of time as a journeyman, and he's actually older than Marquez.
0: Yeah. Oh, he's like 31 or something. Uh, he's not No, he's like 27. No, he's at least 29. He's older. I'm going to look this up. Anyway, doesn't matter. But the
1: point is, yeah, he he's taken a lot longer to get through up to MotoGP and he's riding a satellite bike, but he's beating Rhys and Ian O'Ne as a satellite rider. He took a lot of pole positions in qualifying and generally was just an excellent rider in his rookie year was the top satellite rider regardless of whether he does well or not whether he manages to crack top five which would be amazing you know he's he's something to look out for and whenever he gets ahead because he has led a lot of races it's extremely entertaining
0: yeah it is all right. So Zarko's one to watch out for one that you don't need to watch out for in terms of wins, but for great entertainment value, Cal Crutchlow. Yes. Now he runs, uh, he races for GV. Uh, so the satellite Honda team, it's GV Honda, right? No, GV's yeah. a sponsor. What's the name of the, the satellite Honda team. I'll remember in a second. Anyway, Cal Crutchlow runs wait, LCR, LCR, yes. LCR Honda. Um, Cal Crutchlow is, if Danny Petrosa is the mo- the most successful rider to have never won a championship, Cal Crutchlow is the most successful rider to have complained about not winning a championship. <laughs> Cal Crutchlow is amazing because what well, we call him Crash Crutchlow, but also. Cal Crutchlow, every once in a while, will put in a win, like every other year or something like that. Well,
1: no, the, the, the only I think the only time in recent memory that I remember him winning races
0: was the first year of the Michelin tires. Oh yeah, but well, but he'll win, he'll he'll constantly be like top ten or something like that. Yeah, but really, he'll crash at the most inopportune moments, and then he will be all over TV all over i mean if you're watching this. mean, those his, sorts real, of TV his real his real his real strength on, is
1: throwing his own t- his own mechanics and his team under the bus
0: oh yes he will lose his shit and complain like a little girl and be just a general drama baby about everything there is he will out lorenzo lorenzo in this category he he's british uh he, isn't he welsh I think he's Welsh. I don't know. Which is I, I amazing haven't... because the Welsh are great at not complaining because they put up with so much weather. If he's not Welsh, he, well, he lives in Isle of Man. So, again, that might as well be Wales. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, sure, he's a fast rider. And, you know, I, he was great in like British superbike and all that stuff back in the day. And since he's made it to MotoGP, he's just sort of been middle of the pack, but he stands out as this hugely entertaining personality, and he makes the sport really fun because he's always bitching about something.
1: There's only one writer who tops Cal Crutchlow in terms of pure drama and personality,
0: Uh and that's Jack Miller. Oh my god, Jack. So Jack Mill is the only Aussie on the grid right now. Now, there's there's been a tradition of like quite a quite a few good like Australian writers over the years, and they tend to there tend to never be that many, but I would say the writers that they produce have a higher likelihood of being successful and great and notable than almost any other nationality. Mm-hmm. Very rare is the time that a mediocre Australian rider shows up. Now, Jack Miller, a lot of people might call him mediocre because he's like sort of like Cal Crutchlow, like uh, middle of the pack. He's a top ten finisher, but he races for a really shitty team. Yes, he's another one of these guys like Zarco. If you gave him a factory bike, he would be winning championships left and right. And I, and my heart goes out to him. He's a wonderful rider, but more importantly, he's a drunken bastard that doesn't give a fuck. Yes. <laughs> didn't he actually hit another rider last year on the track?
1: Well, so he got wiped he, like, out punched by, him, didn't he? He got
0: wiped out by another rider.
1: I think it was Petrucci, or it may have been another... Uh, it was another satellite rider. So here's, here's the thing about MotoGP is when they crash... There's so much adrenaline going through their system that even though they're sliding, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 feet, they're not just, like, crashing and just surrendering to the forces that are being applied to them. They're, like, they're,
0: trying to swim
1: across the asphalt back to their bike. Yeah. So, there was a great moment where he got wiped out by another rider. It was mid-season last year. Yeah. yeah. He got wiped out by another rider, and right after they had finished coming to a stop in the gravel trap, got up and shoved the other rider before they had even fully stood up to give him an extra fuck you because he wiped him out and he thought he was going to get a top 10
0: place. Oh, it was great too because like, he was talking mad shit about him on Facebook and everything afterwards. He had an
1: excellent Instagram post. He got into a social media slap fight with a fan and ended up calling the other rider, a cock smoker
0: (laughs) and was forced to delete the, the post. Yeah. And then he gave like a non apology about it too, which was, which was so satisfying for me. Yeah. Uh,
1: Is an absolute character.
0: All right. So we've talked about MotoGP now for uh, close to an hour or 50 minutes or something uh, for a minute, a hot minute. So I think we need to do a couple things. I think we need to wrap up saying this has been your Moto GP primer. Okay. We have talked very little about the action itself, which is so amazing. You've just got to see it to believe it. There's so much we
1: could say, but nothing will convince you more than seeing it just go on youtube go check out the moto gp youtube channel the
0: the our two listeners need to know that it's nine o'clock here now and it's not only my birthday but it's swiggy's birthday as well yeah we got we got got got, we've got some drinking to do all right so we're gonna i'm gonna put in a couple things here because we've talked about this for an hour now anyone on this planet who has made it this far in this episode on our birthday i'm going to give you a secret word to tweet to us what should the word be swiggy
1: oh jeez uh secret word
0: oh i know it can only be one thing just just one word bergman okay <laughs> so just tweet me the word Bergman. Uh, yeah. Um, I've been told that MotoGP has since learned a little bit more about how the Twitters work, and it seems you should not under any circumstances tweet your email address. You should instead just simply email that word. Okay, back to the show. And, you know, tweet me the word Bergman, and your email address, and I'm going to get something to you. I don't know if it would be a sticker, or a t-shirt, or something. All right, You know what, in fact, if it's like six years from this episode airing, and you've gone back in time, to listen to episode 5 of Nokomo and you've made it through this far of our breakdown of the lead up to the 2018 Moto GP season and you've gone this far, tweet me, Bergman and your email address and we'll do something for you. I don't know what, but something, okay? <laughs> All right. Because I don't know what kind of motard makes it this far through the episode.
1: We'll work on it.
0: All right. Yeah, we're working on it. Uh, oh, wait. Uh, can we call them super motard? Yeah. You're a motard if you listen anyway. If no, you've gone this motard far, you're a just... super motard. Yeah. We'll work on it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's do the outro. All right. Just want to <laughs> ride on my mo side later all right then time <laughs> <laughs>